everybody, welcome to the Mayfair Theatre Podcast. This is Josh. This episode is being recorded for the week of December 1st through 7th. Lee and I are here, but we have a special guest. So whatever you're doing right now, if you're doing dishes or on the bus or driving your car, stop what you're doing and give a round of applause for our friend Greg Sestero. Hi, Greg. Hey, glad to be back at the Mayfair. <sighs> yeah. It's my fourth time? Yes, yeah? your fourth time. Someone asked me that the other day and it was a blur to me. I was like, three, four. Twice with Tommy, twice with just Greg. And this has been quite a week. It's been three nights in a row of Greg-related stuff. And my biggest surprise is every night just witnessing you or Lee say, who's first time here for the room? And it's been a lot of people. And also I'm noticing, I worked a matinee shift last week with, for a, a grown-up movie. It was Victoria and Abdul. And three different ladies in their 60s all asked when we were getting Disaster Artist. So it's a really interesting phenomenon that's happening now with your old and upcoming work. If you asked me a week ago, who's the demographic for the disaster, I would say the same people who come see the room. Yeah. But it seems like it's going to be appealing to all ages. I think it's going to be, a, yeah, it's going to be a really broad film. I don't, I, I always imagine the story, you know, years ago when I was working on the book, that it, it could reach people that had never seen the room before. And I think the film they made is really terrific, and it's got such a diverse cast of talent, Oscar winners, Emmy Award winners... And I just think it's a universal story that I think people will be really drawn to. Yeah, and so in you're in the trenches right now. We were chatting about it yesterday or the day before, saying, did you get a Thanksgiving? Are you getting a Christmas? And your answer was no. <laughs> yeah, this year you got to just throw all that stuff out the window and just kind of take in this experience, live on the road. Where were you before Ottawa and where are you going I, after Ottawa? I was in Australia and then I'm headed to Texas. Um, so... A little different. Alamo Draft House? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Ottawa's, uh, Ottawa's always kind of a treat, so it was nice to come here and, and hang out. See, I love the theater. Fans are great. Mr. Lee's pretty good, too. And the popcorn. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, the popcorn. <laughs> Every day, I was like, okay, that's the last bag of popcorn I'm going to have. Take tomorrow off. And then you just get to that time of the night where you just can't resist it. I've been here for, we've been here for closing in on a decade and I'm genuinely not tired of the popcorn yet, which is insane. Which is and don't forget the video store popcorn we got before. Yeah. And the Bytown popcorn. I don't know. I wish I was sick of popcorn, <laughs> but I'm not. Uh, and I and you'd think people would be sick of the room at this point, but they're not. Yeah, it's just incredible here to be here on a Tuesday night and have this kind of energy. It's amazing. Where do they find out about it? Where do these people live? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think a lot of them are university students, but yeah, all of us coming now. But what about Sunday night when CFL football was happening across the street? All of Bank Street was closed. Yeah, not just CFL football. The Grey Cup in Canada's 150th year, so it was extra giant in police and closed streets. No, there was no access by car. It was a lot of snow. Yeah. It, it, meant, it should have meant no one was coming to see Yeah, the, that's what it looked the like. The there was a blizzard, and I just figured, okay, tonight's just going to be you know, a small, intimate night. And just they, yeah, they find a way. That's what has kept the room alive are these fans. Brave fans. So this is a rarity for me where I just watched Best Friends, and now I'm sitting with the one of the filmmakers behind Best Friends. So this was a, what did it say at the front? It's a, um, a work in progress cut? or Yeah. What? So after this, are you guys going back into the editing suites to tinker with it some more? Yeah, we're still editing, color correcting and stuff, but... Um, it's always good to kind of put a cut out there and just get a vibe of what you know the audiences are responding to, where their consistent beats are, and then kind of work around that. 
I was really impressed with who was your cinematographer. Uh, his name is Farhan Umadali. He's uh, based out of Vancouver. Does a lot of really high end uh, commercial photography and, and video. The yeah. actor too is Canadian. There, yeah, the whole team is Canadian, pretty much. Yeah, especially the the nighttime shots and some of the desert shots, even though we're right at the end on the ocean. Was really nice. The the one shot of the I think was it the Santa Monica Pier. Yeah, that was really really nice. I mean, it reminded me of Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, <laughs> how many people totally. my son has killed on that bridge? <laughs> <laughs> so did the did the director and cinematographer come as a pair? Or did they work together before? They had worked together before. Yeah, and you were saying he was a younger guy who was a fan of the room. He had seen the room. Yeah, I think when he was sixteen, and like all of us thought. This is a really strange world. Yeah. What is this about? And um, yeah, we met through a, a mutual friend at the time and just kind of connected and we were able to pull off some really, really incredible things this year, you know, basically making almost two feature films. Right. Um, so. How much is left in volume two? There's about four days left and we've got, you know, two volumes of this. So, so that's what I'll say too. This is, I always hate when people say spoiler after the mm-hmm. spoiler, but. We're going to talk a bit about your next work. I was somehow surprised by it, even though I was here last night, where it gets to the end, and then there's a title card, and it says Volume 2, or what it say, Best Friends Will Return, or something. And the crowd goes wild, and then there's a little preview, which you were saying, somebody asked right away, what, I was following the film and really liked it. In the last couple of minutes, I didn't know what was going on. And you said that's all footage from that's volume just, two. Yeah, that's a teaser. It's a little bit like what Back to the Future 2 did <laughs> yeah. when they showed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From out of the West, in a cloud of dust, a thunder of hooves, and a mighty... Great Scott. I know, this is heavy. Indians! This summer, Marty and Doc go back one more time for their greatest adventure of all. Doc's living in the past. Just try it, Tenet! But he's about to be history. What kind of a future do you call that? I'm going back to 1885, and I'm bringing you home. It's the last roundup. Come on, run! It's the final showdown. Hey, lighten up, jerk! Where Marty makes a name for himself. What's your name, dude? Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. What kind of stupid name is that? Doc meets his mate. This heck of a life. Emmett Brown at your service. And Tannen meets his match. I'll hunt you and shoot you down like a duck. It's dog, Buford. Shoot him down like a dog. Michael J. Fox. Where'd you learn to shoot like that? 7-Eleven. Christopher Lloyd. There's a fella that can't hold his liquor. And Mary Steenburgen. I never ever met a man like you before. <clears throat> Gentlemen, excuse me, but my friend and I have to catch a train. This summer, Steven Spielberg and Robert Zemeckis invite you. Come on, Marty! To the Rough Rider. Rip Roar. Rootin' Tootin'. Straight Shootin'. It doesn't hold up! It's a science experiment! Rousing conclusion of Back to the Future. Let the festivities begin! Back to the Future, part three. 
And so that because that was supposed to be one film, right? And it was you know it's similar here because the vibe completely changes to you know the Wild West, and it's like now you've just gone through this journey. I think it's much better to have them be their own thing. ZZ Top in Volume Two, Lucky Future Three. Okay, he, he wasn't available. <laughs> and so your plan is to got 2018's next year. Your plan is to get that out. Yeah, they're both done. I think it's a great thing to like let people, you know, experience part one, digest it, maybe see it again and do three to six months, you know, have the other one ready. But when you wrote the script, how long is the script? Is it average? It's like hundred and twenty pages. Yeah. But um yeah, I didn't know. I didn't I didn't until you see it out you don't realize that it's not you know, it's too much to be one film. So was, yeah. that, was that your first script? Yeah. Impressive. Besides besides the home alone sequel. <laughs> That's when right. I was twelve. <laughs> Oh, it's an impressive script. And what were the inspirations? You were saying film noir? Uh, yeah, L.A. noir, Double Indemnity, Drive, Nightcrawler. Mm-hmm. Kind of just an L.A. vibe that we haven't really seen before. I think L.A. is a really interesting city, but it's always shot the same way. And I just wanted none of that. I wanted to go to these kind of dark places that I had hung out in L.A. myself over the years that I feel like haven't been captured yet. And just kind of tell a, you know, tell like a little side story that we don't really know about in L.A. And yeah. Um, and so that was yeah I enjoyed it Tommy's particularly good in the film yeah he really is I mean it's just the power of putting someone in a position to succeed and and really everyone focused on getting him to perform in in a sincere way I think really helped it's a nice testament to Tommy because after the room you might not know (laughs) he he, acting is his forte but he he, he, this, this proves Tommy can He's got a great, great screen presence, and I think um, I'm happy I didn't just quit after the room and, and move on. I'm glad I kind of gave it one more shot. Mm-hmm. There's a couple scenes in the movie where he's really he has this anger. He's really intimidating. Where he's just in a conversation in your your character's girlfriend, and it's really like he's just like half a step too close to her, <laughs> and and he's he's getting in her face. And there was a couple scenes like that. And so, how close was that? How close was Tommy's stuff to the script? Did you have a bit of improv in there? He hit the key points in the scene, and that was the biggest thing. There were some few things that could change if he was more comfortable saying it that way. But we, he needed to follow the, the guideline of the scene, or else the scene doesn't accomplish what it's supposed to do. So as long as we got the beats of the scene that were the most important, and he said lines a different way, then it didn't really matter. So he stuck pretty much to the script. He tried, you know, he worked really hard. Somebody asked. What was it like working with him as a co-star? He's, he's not involved as a producer or director versus director, producer, writer. So how was that switch off for you? It, it worked much better for me this time because I, I I had a key group of guys that really got what we were trying to do and and understood Tommy. You know, a couple of them have never seen the room, so we we're all just trying to make a competent film, you know, a decent film, and so we could put him in in, in scenes and just kind of take him seriously and not try to be like oh that's funny you said that from the room or so we just were able to you know try to make something totally different someone was asking earlier is this your new midnight movie and i was like well without this trying to sound like a backhanded compliment but i think it's too good to be a midnight yeah. movie it's, it's like, i don't i can't imagine people throwing things and yelling back at the screen it's a it's a movie it's like a parallel universe where the room is actually good right <laughs> yeah so just lee when did we realize that we wouldn't be able to celebrate Room 100, 
but 99. Because it was all chaos trying to get this all organized. Greg has a very busy schedule. Exactly. So we took him when he was available. So the end of November is almost 100. Our 100th. I'll take 99. And celebrating a 99th anniversary is more fitting into the room anyway than selling the, the it, exact it does, 100. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just really wanted to be here. I remember I was in, I was in Europe and I was trying to trying to get it coordinated and um, secured. And so I just was like, yeah, just really happy to, to be able to make it out here. Even though last night it was insanely cold for an L.A. boy. <laughs> and we do have two more screenings of Best yes. Friends during our 100th this Friday and Saturday and the room's going to be playing throughout um, December because December is a big month for fans of Tommy Zone and Greg Sestero well and, and I, I said this on a previous podcast but just the unbelievable chain of events of having your new film the 100th month here and Disaster Artist yeah. and December the holidays all happening at the same time is crazy that that all yeah. fell into the same month yeah. and now before Greg came up and said hello before the room which is screening as we speak if you hear people screaming every once in a while in the background that's what that is we show the clip of James Franco winning an award last night uh, the Gotham Awards that is a bizarre chain of events because I'm sure if you could go back to 15 or 16 years ago when you were working on the room to be like oh um, you're going to write a book and it's going to inspire a film that as Lee said earlier at an introduction you don't want to jinx it but is getting Oscar buzz <laughs> so how bizarre is that for you right now it's one of those things you know my it's really hard to digest even when you've taken the journey it was like seven years ago most of the day that I was talking to my co-author about what I wanted this book to be and I wanted it to be turned into a movie and and, and become an, you know an acclaimed film or something like Ed Wood you know a, movie, a good movie about a bad movie and so you know, it's taken that long to get here. It's just been a wild ride. And so I think even if, like, you know, you've prepared yourself or you that was your goal, it's still really, really tough to put into words, you know. And I think uh, it's just, it's it's a huge, you know, huge reward. And um, it's just amazing that people have responded to it the way that they have. The room fans have never died down. No. In 10 years, how long have it been? They've never died. It's never petered out. The only times it like there was once where there was a legitimate storm, like a don't go outside ice storm, mm-hmm. and like five people showed up, and so there's five people in there throwing spoons at each other, <laughs> and that was the only night. Like every other night has been consistent, yeah, and yeah, right up to the release of this new movie. And it's one of those things like we've joked about before. Of after a night like that, like oh, we can stop showing it, and then the next month, hundred people come again, and. Sometimes we'll get, you know, well-meaning but angry cinema nerds saying, why don't you play a different Midnight movie? Why don't you play, um, you know, Friday the 13th more? Why don't you play an old Ed Wood movie more? And we're like, well, we're a business and people keep coming back. And we play Rocky Horror in the Room, which I think are kind of the two movies in 40 years that have garnered that kind of passion from a cult audience of dressing in costume and screaming back at the screen and stuff like that. So we're doing it for business reasons, of course, but, you know, I don't think... I remember sitting here and Lee showing me the trailer for The Room mm-hmm. and saying, what do you think of this? And then it was one month, six months, 12 months. Yeah, I remember thinking originally it was a horror film. My friend in L.A. told me about it, and Tommy got back to me quickly, pretending to be Johnny. <laughs> yeah, and and yeah, and I just listened to everything Tommy told me. Play it once a month at midnight. 
and uh, it pays off. Tommy uh, knows what he's doing. It's funny. It doesn't seem like it, but he does. <laughs> While we have here, I actually want to talk about a couple of things before the room because I was, I know a couple of these things, but I was looking on your IMDb and stuff like that. So you did Retro Puppet Master. What is it? What have you found? Cyclops. He was one of the first in the family. For those who think they've seen it all. Now, see how it all began. Let's begin. saved, but the secret must be saved. You can make your puppets truly live. And there is little time. Shall we begin? We shall be Avengers. Retro Puppet Master. So I'm the exact right age, approximately with Lee as well, of that VHS boom, uh, the, the video store, which is now world men because we can be to our grandkids be like, there was these things called video stores. But Full Moon Entertainment was a giant thing, and I don't know what number Retro Puppet Master was. Number seven. Number seven. So I remember watching it back in the day. So when you jumped into that, did you know the franchise? Was it purely a game? I, no, I didn't really know it. I tried to find out more about it and wasn't the most promising <laughs> yeah. uh, sequels I had seen. I know Puppet Master 3, I think, was good. Um, and they started to kind of go downhill after that. So mine was a prequel. And you said when you did... Prequels always turn out well. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Always turn out well. Um, and what were some... You, t- you mentioned a lot of the extra work you did on some big movies. Yeah, I was an extra on Patch Adams. <laughs> Flubber. Flubber. Gattaca <laughs> at TV. Did you, did, you, did you make the screen? Can you see yourself? A couple times. On Patch Adams... Are you in anything with Robin Williams there? More Philip Seymour Hoffman. Okay, cool. And in what, Gattaca, did you get to do some... I flash on screen for about, like, half a second. And that's, uh, yeah, and what was the other one? Um, Ed TV. Ed TV, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. So you got to work with Ron Howard. In those cases, does a director actually say anything to you, or you're kind of... Yeah, he did, actually. Yeah. Yeah. He was a really nice guy. And I saw Matthew McConaughey and... um, Elizabeth Hurley as well mm. on the set. And for that, like, it must just be... I always, like... You always hear, even a successful actor, they'll get that question of, like, oh, your kid wants to be an actor. And they're like, no. <laughs> and I just imagined it, it's... It's on top of talent and drive. It, it's just doing it. Like, mm-hmm. taking that step. Going to the auditions. And I have friends who are actors who just have stories of... Kind of the comedic one. Like, I have a, I have a friend who's a successful actress, and she works a lot in Toronto, Vancouver... And she's like five foot four, blonde. Now, now she's starting to play mum roles. She's like in her early forties, and she's like, one of two things happens: you walk into a room, 
and there's 50 other people who look exactly like you. Or you walk into a room, and there's 50 people who look nothing like you. So now, like, past the room, now you're Disaster Artist, the book, but are you still going out on auditions? Are you still doing... No, there's no real need for me, I guess, to at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, getting to make this movie was really rewarding, because I was able just to kind of be creative I didn't need to like please anybody or you know I was able to to cast other people or think of people in parts um, which was a much better spot to be in I think you know obviously auditioning is great if there's something you're interested in going out and meeting uh, somebody a director or whatever but um, yeah at this point I haven't that's not something I've pushed for you know I had an agent for a long time and played that game and I just think for me it works better to do your own thing yeah, and now with, it was a surprise for me about half an hour ago, but so now your next film will be Best Friends 2. Best Friends is a good example of what he just said. Doing your own thing is really paying off. Yeah. I mean, had I, you know, this been made by somebody else, I I wouldn't have gotten cast probably. Right. So you kind of, you when you're able to write a screenplay, you're able to write to your strengths and uh, create a role that is more enjoyable for you to play. And do you have, now are you concentrating on being a screenwriter, or do you have an? Do you have a, a rough thing past Best Friends Part Two? Yeah, um, uh, I have an idea for a horror western oh, cool. that I want to do, and so that's kind of what I'll start working on once this other one's done. I've been in the position too, where it's you finish something and people go, "What are you doing next?" And you're like, "Well, I just finished this thing. I have to go get it out to the world now." And that- yeah, I think it's always good. It's always good to have ideas brewing and keeping things there and working on I'd really like to throw myself into one project right because I think there's new things you can discover every day that can make your project better so it's never done so really you want to wait until you're at a really good point and then start focusing on something else so now we have to think ahead and maybe we'll have you back here a year from now for uh, <laughs> for volume two yeah yeah. When, you, when you expect the release of uh, Best Friends and Best Friends Volume uh, 2? I think Best Friends will probably come out in March or April, and then Volume 2 would probably come out October. Oh, so clo- I always forget that we're getting this really early. Yeah, so it's, it's still it's, it's a North American premiere. Thank you, Greg. I remember when we, we had our initial initial publicity, and it said Canadian premiere, and then it said, oh, change it to sneak preview. And now I see, oh, yeah, that makes sense now, because <laughs> it's coming out still a few... Still might be tinkered with a little yeah, bit. Yeah, 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 exactly. But, um, yeah, no, it's great. I mean, I think a lot of times you make a film and they're like, oh, let's do a sequel. It just takes so long to produce a sequel. So it's great that this kind of worked out that way where they're both ready. And they'll both be... So this one, I believe, was about 95 minutes or something like that? It's like 98 minutes. 98 minutes. And next one will be about the same? 95. 95. And, and do you see like a, uh, a super cut, put them together into a three-hour movie? Or they work best as... Yeah, I mean, you, you could do that. I just think sitting down for a three-hour movie, you know, you could do a double feature maybe, get a break, and then yeah. dive in. And so uh, what have you guys done the last couple of days in Ottawa? Have you had a chance to do anything? or you... Just kind of hang out, talk about movies. We watched The Force Awakens. Watched The Force Awakens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hadn't seen it in two years. It was, it was actually, I enjoyed it more this time. Yeah, just kind of catch up and, you know... Tim Hortons. Hang out. Tim, Tim Hortons. Hortons. A lot of Tim Hortons. <laughs> Shawarma. Yeah, a Shawarma. Shawarma. A lot of uh, Chez Lucien. Chez Lucien. <laughs> the hamburgers there are nice. Yeah. You made me think, maybe Tommy, if, if you want to try a three-hour adventure, you and Tommy can make, make Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy, you can see Tommy in the desert with a shawl on. What is it now? Today is December 28th. November. Uh, sorry, November 28th. <laughs> yes. You're on a plane tomorrow. Yeah. So you don't even get to like go home. 
Nah, I've just kind of gotten used to it. It's been that way for the most part since uh, early October. It sounds like you don't want to get into disaster. <laughs> oh no, not at all. I was just, I was just, I'm, I'm still thinking about uh, best friends. Yeah, um, but yeah. So disaster artist people keep asking us when we're getting to screen it, and I, I've said before, like I don't expect people to know how independent cinema works because I don't know how a restaurant works or a shoe store works, but we don't have that power to just be. Oh, we're going to start showing it now. Right. So pretty much as soon as we're allowed to screen it, we're looking forward to screening it, and. Not the cleaners. Yeah. The cleaners, yeah. because the room comes on right after, yeah. and boom, the cinema turns into mud. Yeah, <laughs> but this will be the place to see it. This is yes. the, the, the... You think people are waiting to see it here? I think some are. We, we have very good patrons for that kind of thing, of even more mainstream stuff. I remember people coming in and asking, you know, when, when are you getting... Um, La La Land or when you're getting Manchester by the Sea and people wait I think people do Chris, cool. Christie's not going to wait yeah <laughs> disaster so for those of you pondering when we're getting it you will know the second that we have that booked and uh, we hope to get it soon but you look at some stuff and it's it's really different it goes back and forth like you look at a pretty mainstream movie like Battle of the Sexes we got that really fast mm-hmm. even Manchester by the Sea or like we just booked the premiere Lee just booked the premiere yeah, the for last. Flag sta- the last flag standing, uh, the last flag flying, last flag flying. Now I can't think of <laughs> Richard Linklater's new movie. The new Richard Linklater movie. Yeah. So a pretty mainstream film from a five-time Oscar nominee, starring Steve Carell and Lawrence Fishburne, Brian um, Cranston, and Brian Cranston. Yeah, and we got it first. So in a perfect world, we'd be having the Ottawa premiere of Disaster Artist, but we'll get it really soon. Right. Yeah, you guys will do it right. So what is it about the the Mayfair disaster artist? Does it have any connection? Nah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Spoiler. Spoiler. I wonder if there's <laughs> the any... Mayfair. That was the big, the big connection with the Mayfair, is when I was here in 20, 2011, the first international appearance I ever made with Tommy. We came here. I got introduced on the stage at the Mayfair. We had all these leases behind us, and. Um, and so at the very end of The Disaster Artist, they feature Tommy and I in real life to show how we are now. And um, there I am on the stage at the Mayfair, coming up on stage with Tommy. That's how they introduce my real life character at the very end of the movie. I might cry watching The Disaster Artist <laughs> and seeing the Mayfair in that movie. Yeah, that's great. And, and yeah, I think we're just, this thing's just going to keep rolling because I think Disaster Artist is going to do really well for us I think Best Friends is going to continue to do well for us Disaster Artist might do better for Greg than us yes yeah 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 Yeah, it's quite the thing it's again I keep flashing back to that month one of showing this weird cult movie that had some buzz Mm -hmm. and the math on it is what like that's like eight years ago pretty early in the Mayfair run yeah we should look we should just go on the schedule and go back 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 I, I keep on wanting to look into the Guinness Book of Records but it's not as easy as just like emailing them. It's quite a process. Yeah. But I do want to check because I think we might have some footnote there of <laughs> most screenings in Canada or something oh, like that. Oh, definitely. Because is, is there someone in LA doing it monthly as well? Yeah, it switched theaters. Um, but yeah, it's been going in LA for. Oh, if they switch theaters, we got them beat. That's it, yeah. <laughs> that, that ruins their streak right there. Yeah, so we're, we're approaching half an hour, so we might wrap things up because Greg has to go and say hello to the folks after the room finishes screening and then. Uh, uh, sell his wares, his his great book, The Disaster Artist, and um, go have dinner at Shayla Sand. Go have dinner at, at Shayla Sand. Yeah, <laughs> and for anybody listening, if you haven't read or listened to the book, I listened to it. I, I really like listening or listening to books when it's when it's an autobiography, whether it be 
someone like Tina Fey or Steve Martin and, and I really like the audiobook. It just it feels like listening to a little like black box theater one man show almost, you know. So do check that out. Keep an eye out, we'll have Disaster Artist soon. As I said, the, this is for the week of December 1st and 7th, so we got distracted because we wanted to talk with Greg for half an hour. But you can check online. We're on all the social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I will just quickly, quickly say we're screening Wonderstruck, Florida Project, Faces Places, The Square, Blade of the Immortal, that's an Ottawa premiere, Polar Express, a free screening, which is going to be chaos. And then, uh, of course, Best Friends and... The Room are back on December 1st and 2nd if you're listening to this right away. So do come back out to that. And uh, best of luck, Greg. This is going to be an exciting few months. Again, like Lee said, more for you than us, but it's fun <laughs> It's fun to watch this on our side of things, too. Yeah, again, guys, thanks for having me. And next year will be the fifth time back at the Mayfair. Awesome. So, okay, I can't wait. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks, Ray. Thanks. That was easy. What happens when your dream comes true in the opposite way? What if your greatest feat was also your greatest failure? My name is Greg Sestero. From as far as I can remember, I wanted to be in movies. In 1998, as a 19-year-old aspiring actor, I enrolled in an acting class in San Francisco. It is there that I met a mysterious man who claimed to be the next Marlon Brando. To be or not to be? That is the question. Tommy Wiseau. This chance encounter led me on the most hilariously twisted journey neither I nor anyone else could have imagined. It's a story about heart, sadness, vampires, blind artistic heroism, but at its center, lies the story of a deep and abiding friendship and the insanely bizarre film that stands as proof. You are tearing me apart, Lisa! Tommy predicted his romantic drama would conquer the world, and in a way, it did. There's a movie that's been called The Citizen Kane of Bad Films. They said it's the best, worst movie ever made. It is like no experience <laughs> we'll ever have. The Room has become an international cultural phenomenon, playing to sold-out crowds worldwide for over a decade. Amazingly enough, as unintentionally hilarious and unexplainable as the film is, the journey and creation of it is even more surreal. Join me as I unlock one of the most improbable Hollywood success stories in my new book, The Disaster Artist, My Life Inside the Room. <laughs> what a story, Mark.